It's Thursday, February 6th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. With me in studio, Mr. Bill Barker. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. We've got a recent IPO reporting earnings. We're going to dip into the full mailbag. And this time, it, it's actual mail. Um, we're going to start, though, with Twitter because shares of Twitter up 17% today. Fourth quarter profits were light, and nobody cares because Twitter's revenue came in higher than expected. And in terms of user growth, I think this was the biggest quarter they've had. Yeah, and what they highlight, and you can break down the words to get at how important this this may be, and is certainly being considered by the market today. Uh, monetizable daily active usage, MDAU. Uh, so you've got monetizable. That's important. Um, daily, uh, and we'll, we'll touch on the the uh, addictive quality of Twitter. Uh, active. And usage. So these are people who not only are using it at all, and most um, uh, you know, internet media companies report sort of in, in monthly active users. Uh, they're talking about daily active use here, and of that daily active use, the monetizable portion, the ones they're getting ads to. So that's for the bottom line uh, and the top line. Uh, a pretty good metric to focus on, and as you note, uh, 21% year-over-year growth. Uh, is the best and is really a, a different caliber uh, than what we were seeing about a year ago when it was growing that metric about nine to eleven percent. And there was a point in time when Twitter's growth, you know, one of the things they would talk about is their international growth. And I think part of the reason they stopped really touting that it wasn't that they weren't growing internationally; it's that it pretty quickly became clear that the amount of money that Twitter makes outside the United States. Just doesn't really compare to what they were making inside the United States. So it, it I'm not saying 17% pop in one day necessarily makes sense. Maybe it does, but I at least there is a specific metric you can point to that you can say whether or not you agree with 17% in one day. This is a legitimately good number for Twitter. It's a legitimately good number, and to back up and give a little more context to it, over the last five quarters, that number has grown by 9%, and then 11%, and then 14%, 17%, today 21%. So, market in part is looking at that progression and extending it out a little bit further. I don't know that Twitter does need to grow faster than 21% year over year to start. Justifying the the price that it's at today, but uh, you know, if if it does, I, th- I think that uh, the bottom line is also going to improve. So, where do you think we are with Twitter as a stock? Because putting aside what it's doing today, the stock over the past year, it's up. I think from like thirty four to thirty eight, which is where it is today. Um, it's only, and I realize this may sound crazy. It's only a $30 billion company. Um, yesterday, we were talking about Snap, which is a $24 billion company. So, when Snap came public, if you had asked me, well, where do you think these companies are going to be in relative size in a few years? I would have said, oh, well, Twitter's going to be you know, at least a couple of times, if not more, larger than Snap. Um, so, it seems like a good trend in terms of the monetizable daily active users, but I also feel like we've seen this movie before with Twitter. There have absolutely been times where they've had a good quarter, 
And there are people saying, well, now they've turned the corner. And really, they haven't. So I'm, I guess what I'm asking is, do you think they've turned the quarter, or do they actually need to come back in three months and continue this trend line and find this metric up 25 percent instead of just 21? Well, it's uh, continuing to be, I think, a fair fight between the the things that Twitter is proving that it can do and the questions, uh, which include Jack Dorsey. What's up with that? <laughs> Jack Dorsey, CEO of Square, appears to be at least from a stock perspective. Better than Jack Dorsey, the CEO of Twitter. Also, on top of that, and that's part you know one of what's up with that. It's Jack Dorsey going to Africa for some period of time. What's up with that? Uh, and there's an answer to that. And uh, Twitter, you know, can grow there as well. What is the answer to that, by the way? Uh, well, as to uh, expose himself to more to. You know the, what is a very large market, and it's probably more valuable on the Squarespace, where uh, those sorts of financial transactions are, are growing faster than, say, the use of Twitter. But Twitter certainly play a larger role, uh, as you noted. Uh, it's not getting the same success internationally that it's getting domestically, and Africa is one place to explore that. Um, and I, th- I think just an, an interest in in the continent itself. But all of those are sort of questions about why can't we just have a CEO who works on our one company and does it from the home office you know what's what's all this other stuff uh, so it's going to be probably a very good year for traffic 2020 you've got the summer olympics coming up and uh, you're devoting your show to the summer olympics i am i hope you'll you'll talk about the business side of that a lot right? oh absolutely like on all through the olympics hopefully Everybody loves the Olympics. There's a lot to like about the Olympics. I don't know that we're going to go 17 straight days where where the show turns into the business of the Summer Olympics. But sure, we'll hit it at some point. I'm just putting that out there as a little challenge. You could do that. <laughs> no, nobody. Have faith in yourself. Nobody, including and especially me, is interested in that show. Uh, and then there's the. Uh, I guess there's going to be an election this year, maybe. I've heard a little something about that: a presidential election here in the United States, along with presumably some Senate elections and some House of Representative elections. So yes, maybe maybe a primary or two. Once again, the table is set for Twitter to succeed. So I, you know, I. I think they kind of do need to come back in three months and and have this metric continue its trend. If they do, I think you know you'll see the stock price uh, higher than it is right now. If they can put up a, a number of 22 percent year over year growth in this category, I think they're going to be uh, you know justifying the price today. Let's move on to Peloton, which uh, recently went public. Uh, Peloton's third quarter loss was not as big as Wall Street was expecting. But shares of Peloton are down as much as 10% on Thursday um, after it's clear that revenue growth is slowing. And we don't like that with our growth companies. We're fine if you're not profitable, just as long as that revenue growth continues. And once it starts to slow down, that's when some of us are going to sell our shares. Well, it's so revenue grew by 77%. In the quarter, and they did part of the reason, and it beat estimates. But part of that was that they sort of actually got more efficient and pulled some sales into the quarter just concluded and reported, and lowered their guidance for next quarter in terms of what previously had been the the expected range for revenue. So 
Uh, they've grown connected fitness subscribers uh, by 96%, uh, and the total revenue to 77%. These are pretty, pretty good top-line growth numbers. Um, they're still losing a lot of money, though. So, if people are looking today uh, at the top line and saying, when are you going to produce some profits? And they're, they're like, we're investing for growth. Yeah, you can have that conversation through your stock price with investors for a while, and and many companies at some point make the transition and say, you want to see profits? Okay, we'll you know we'll cut back on spending for the growth, and we'll we'll show you the profits. And I think there are questions about whether that's going to happen and when it's going to happen for Peloton. Now, with the stock price cut today by whatever it is, um, nine to nine percent, it's trading basically. Back at the price where it IPO'd. Is there a B2B side of Peloton's business? I know that certainly from a marketing standpoint, they are very focused on individual consumers. But it seems like the type of business that if they were able to strike partnerships with particularly higher end hotel chains, that sort of thing, resorts, so that part of the attraction of staying at that hotel or resort is, oh, and we have this in our fitness center, we've got... I mean, Peloton has a brand appeal that I think is probably higher than their competitors. And if if they're not already doing that, that seems like an opportunity for them. But I don't know enough about the business to know if they actually do have a separate B2B segment. Perhaps you should work in their marketing department. or. Or their business. Perhaps you should be the CEO, since they don't seem thrilled with you know the performance today. And and of course, I I think what uh, you know gets raised here is Peloton, a controversial stock, or you know the controversial ad issues. Aren't you know, we past that? I would hope. I think we are. I've brought it up, so I guess we're not. <laughs> and the reason I brought it up is because I saw it quoted today. Really? But, you know this, this? Yeah, because I think that's that's one of the things that people know, or that the perhaps that the media enjoys. And here I am today participating in the media, um, talking about itself. Hey, what about that ad? What about the controversy that we all surrounded ourselves with regarding an ad? And talk about it. You know. I, I, Rather than the seventy-seven percent growth, which you know people's eyes start to glaze over, I, I, I think the no, <laughs> no, you're not going there. I'm not going there. You're I think, taking a stand. Well, I think that, that controversy is dead. As far as I'm concerned, I mean, for anyone who would raise that, and not that I'm suggesting that people are making this analogy, but if they're giving it the same amount of attention or raising it as high in terms of flag raising as someone would about a restaurant chain with a health scare. And it's like, well, they had that health scare back then. That could happen again. It's like, I I don't think the, the Peloton television ad has any legs. And I think that if you're looking at this business and trying to figure out whether you should buy this stock, no, that's not something to take into consideration. That's that's done. Yeah, it is done. Uh, I've I've just started typing Peloton into Google, and "ad" is the third thing that comes up for you know, in, in autofill, and "wife" is the fourth. Well, again, so it's so it's it's sort of embedded into part of the stock's history a little bit, and you know, a year from now, it'll be a good deal less. But but if 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 you know if the outcome of all this was that it is part of the equation that led to nearly 100% you know subscription growth uh, you know they're probably working with that same ad company 
I don't know. I guess we'll see. <laughs> um, our email address is marketfoolery at fool.com. And I think it's fair to say that the overwhelming majority of questions that we get from the dozens of listeners come in via email. Uh, and we love it. How so, many questions do the dozens of listeners produce in, in, say, a year? Is it like one per listener? I'd say it's dozens. Dozens. Okay. Um, but uh, our actual mailing address is 2000 Duke Street here in lovely Alexandria, Virginia. And we got a letter, and actually, you and I each got the same letter on the same day uh, from Paul Weidman, or Weedman. Paul, I apologize for uh, possibly mispronouncing your last name, of Chesterbrook, no, it's, Pennsylvania. it's Paul. It's Paul, <laughs> Paul in Chesterbrook, Pennsylvania, um, who wrote a very nice two-page letter to the both of us, um, saying how much he enjoys listening to Market Foolery. Um, and this letter came to us, this is dated January 26th, and he writes, I don't hear too many of your podcasts, or any financial media for that matter, covering Kellogg's very often. I was wondering if you might spend a little time on the company's earnings release on February 6th. So here we are on February 6th. Kellogg's came out with their fourth quarter report this morning. Um, Paul started buying shares of Kellogg's in the $50 range. And um, when he was writing the letter, it was currently in the high 60s. That's when he was writing his letter. As of this morning, the stock is down about 8%. It's in the mid-60s, because Kellogg's fourth quarter report was kind of a familiar one. It's certainly one we've seen before, uh, in the sense that the snack division at Kellogg's was doing pretty well. The breakfast cereal division, which is arguably what Kellogg is better known for, probably best known for, um, not doing as well. And I think Part of the drop that we're seeing today is the fact that coming into today, shares of Kellogg were up 17% over the past 12 months for a stable, slow-growing business like Kellogg. That's a pretty sizable growth for a 12-month period. So I'm assuming at least a little bit of the drop that we're seeing today is valuation. Yeah, and I think it's it's sort of further confirmation um, that the growth is slow, and maybe the market in the very short period of time uh, that it's been since it, it opened today, uh, still trying to wade through whether the decline in sales uh, is solely attributable to uh, the divestiture of of um, so it sold the the Keebler stuff. Uh, Sold the elves. Well, let's not put it like that. Okay, it just sounds sounds awful, doesn't it? Selling elves. Have you ever heard the word Keebler and not immediately had the word elves pop into your head? Well, that's why I said stuff. I didn't, okay. you know. Anyway, uh, anyway, they sold Keebler. They sold Keebler, and so they have less stuff to sell, and um, so their their total top line is off by. You know, the one or two percent, something like that. But really, that's a reflection of of that divestiture, and the remaining elements grew by about two, two and a half percent. So that's kind of what you're looking at with Kellogg, uh, as some of the beloved brands, uh, and I'm quoting from their own uh, website about the belovedness of their brands. But I think it's accurate uh, as as they because of. Changes in diet and and some of the health interests of today's generations, as opposed to ours, uh, regarding breakfast and a few other things, uh, get replaced. 
with some healthier things, but also an expansion of the snack elements of some of these well-known brands, you know, the push and pull of all that results in sort of a tiny bit of growth, two uh, percent, something like that. So you, that's where you start with this company. Are you interested in a company that is likely to grow in the very low single digits if it does well? So. Uh, that's one thing. Uh, the brands. We were talking about the brands a little while ago, and um, their webpage says our beloved brands include. And some people will now learn, you know, what's under the uh, Kellogg's umbrella: Pringles, Cheez It, Special K, Frosted Flakes, Pop Tarts, Corn Flakes, Rice Krispies, Eggo. You know those. And I would say, I must say, you probably love at least three of those brands. I think I love the majority of those brands, um, but but to to get into the numbers of it, you did some research last week where, um, because uh, Paul in his letter had asked about um, some potential drivers for the the business of Kellogg, and and one of the things he mentioned was um, uh, Pop Tarts and how. Pop tarts are morphing into these different products, where it's like it's not just the traditional pop tarts. They've got pop tart bites. They've they've got a cereal version of it. Um, and I was surprised to learn from your research that pop tarts is not a billion dollar brand. Kellogg has four brands that do a billion dollars or more in annual revenue, and pop tarts is not on that list. Pringles, Frosted Flakes, Special K, and Cheez Its. Those are the four billion dollar brands, and then below that, between five hundred million and a billion dollars in sales, you have a few brands. Pop Tarts is one of them. Again, I'm a little surprised that Pop Tarts um, haven't crossed the billion dollar mark, but I'm, I'm guessing over time they will. Uh, yeah, since you know the publishing of the data that I was looking at, things may have changed because it was back in November. But they are being kind of aggressive. I think they've they've got these pretzel Pop Tarts now. Yeah, that was one of the Super Bowl ads. Are they pretzels or are they pop tarts? I think are they pretzel flavored pop tarts or pop tart flavored pretzels. I think it's the latter. What kind of pop tart flavor? <laughs> I think they've got, I think they've started out with just two of them. That was that was featured in the ad, and it was one of those things where the ad it was not one of my favorite Super Bowl ads, but I'm curious enough about that product that I may. It's one of those things that I thought that could work. Well, you like you like a pop tart. I do like a, well. I, I like a couple of pop tarts. On any given day, you can go into a grocery store and be faced with upwards of fifteen to twenty different flavors. I'm interested in maybe two or three, but this pretzel move that they're take, uh, that they're uh, trying out that could move the needle. You'll give it a shot. I'll give it's it a pop shot. Tarts. It's pop tarts because it's a it is a beloved more. brand to you, and so they've got that permission to go to some interesting places. Potentially, uh, whether it's Rice Krispies or Frosted Flakes or Pop Tarts, any one of those actually seems equally probable to me to marry up with pretzels. Cheez It seems more likely. No, not no? really. No. Not, at, not, not eating a Cheez It pretzel. Um, I mean, I'll give it a try, but they, they're they doing enough innovation on the Cheez It front. By the way, that's part of why it's a billion dollar brand. Yeah. So you're really, I think, investing in this company largely for the yield, offering about three, three point three percent right now, um, and then maybe you get some price appreciation along the way. Maybe they buy back some shares, um, but they're they're uh, sending out a large chunk of their annual earnings uh, to shareholders because. 
they have just demonstrated they might be more interesting in, in tightening up the ship, focusing on the brands and the categories, uh, breakfast and snack, uh, and, and not getting into the cookie, uh, getting out of that. So, you're not going to love Kellogg's if you're a big growth investor. If you like a, a pretty safe stock, though, I think it's a, it's a very safe stock. Oh, absolutely! This is a business that's going to be around in thirty years. There are plenty of technology companies that won't be, um, because that's how technology changes. Um, the The idea that Americans, in particular, our love of snacking, is going to materially change in the next thirty years. No, I'm, I'll take the other side of that. Better. Right, and you have to consider like uh, as as diets change and as new innovations come on, the thing like Beyond Meat and what is its threat to meat. When somebody comes up with Beyond Pop Tarts, so that you can have artificially created Pop Tarts rather than the naturally grown ones. Right. What does that do? I, I, I'm not worried about that. If you I were know. Kellogg, I wouldn't be worried about that. <laughs> like you, you're, you're going to threaten Pop Tarts? Like no. <laughs> you made the point when we were um, a few months ago when we were uh, leading up to Halloween and we were doing overrated, underrated candy, and you made the point that uh, overrated uh, candy was the mini Reese's peanut butter cups, and you had very sound logic, uh, which was it's number one rated on the 538 list. And also, you can go into a place like Trader Joe's and get peanut butter, mini peanut butter cups that are not only less expensive, but they actually taste better. Um, that's not the case with Pop Tarts. There's a farmers market here in Old Town that I go to every Saturday, and there's, they grow their own Pop Tarts. Well, there's like there's a baker that has all these different breads and pies, and that, and they've got their artisan version, their version of Pop Tarts, and I just look at them and just think, no. I'm never. <laughs> no, you're not going to do Starbucks. I think tried that for a while as well. It was one chalk it up to one more food item that Starbucks attempted that didn't work out. And uh, no, you're not it's just you're not going to beat Pop Tarts. Go, come at come at Kellogg with something else, but don't come at them with uh, artisan Pop Tarts. No, not happening. Not. I mean, they're happening. They're just not successful, and they don't deserve to be. <laughs> so anyway, uh, the quarter just wrapped up. Uh, I think was a, a little bit disappointing, um, mostly because uh, you know the growth is tepid. And will continue to be tepid. It's done a little bit better on taking some costs out of the business, uh, but the top line is going to continue to grow somewhere around here. And sometimes that's going to produce a stock in the you know the mid 60s and maybe the high 60s when market sentiment is a little bit higher. Uh, real quick before we wrap up, I mentioned this the other day. Um, we've got a new uh, free investing starter kit. It's a 15-page report. Uh, covers everything from saving money to 401ks to buying your first stock, um, and it includes five stocks that were picked by our investing team, and it's free. So if you're just starting out investing, or you know someone who is looking to get started investing, um, this is a, a great way to do it. Um, you can just go to fool.com/starterkit and just put in your email address, and we'll send you the kit. And that's it's just that simple. Fool.com/starterkit. Uh, two quick thoughts. Yes. One. Uh, are we going to talk about the Mookie Betts trade? When we get closer to opening day for the baseball season, we can talk about the, the Mookie Betts trade. Is Dan going to talk about the Mookie Betts trade? Um, I think at that point, Dan will will have. Some so thoughts. we'll revisit this. We will revisit this absolutely. Uh, and the other is, I mean, this letter just again to uh, highlight how special it is to receive a letter. 
Uh, and, yes, thank and, you. By, by the yeah, way, I don't, yeah. I don't think I said thank you. Thank you, Paul. For I mean, we love the emails, so thank you for sending the emails. But Paul taking the time to write out a letter, and by the way, I mean, it's, it's mail two copies, I one mean, to you and one to me. Yeah, it's typed out. It's it's it could have been an email in in terms of. Uh, you know, typing something and the, and the way to send it, uh, but printing it out, putting it in the mail, it just feels a lot more special. And uh, so, if if people want to get your attention, that's one of the ways to do it. They don't have to go that far, buying stamps and all that. You 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 ask for emails uh, and uh, reviews. Sure, we love all that. Podcast reviews. You were telling me about one that somebody uh, sent uh, to you, and you were you kept this from me for about twenty four hours. But then it was like somebody tweeted their criticism of of a show I was on that I had been vague. Really? Yeah, I don't remember. Which this. I think is perfectly useful constructive criticism. That you were vague? Yeah, because you can work with that. Like, oh, okay, on on that stock, I was vague. I I could I have brought in more numbers and more specificity. Okay, that's somebody that wants oh, okay. something like that. As opposed to Bill Barker, don't like that guy. Don't like that guy. <laughs> that's criticism, but not necessarily constructive. It's like, oh, what do I do with uh, myself? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's, there's so, not... so, if you want to get uh, the show better, then the, the constructive criticism to you works, and the just praise to the whole thing uh, out in the public. Oh, but, yeah. yeah. As our friend Eric Rideholm always says, um, uh, if we stink, please tell us. Um, but if you think we're doing a good job, please tell others. Please spread the word, and you can, you can tell your friends, or you can uh, post a review, or or that sort of thing. But uh, but yeah, yeah, you're going to be getting a lot of direct uh, email today. Yeah, yeah, rather than the public. Yeah, the public people stuff. are like, I'm firing off oh, this email cool. today. <laughs> cool. I'm not, I'm not I'm not putting I'm not putting a letter in the mail. I'm not spending money on stamps. I'm going to fire off the email to marketfooleryfool.com and tell Bill Barker exactly what he can do. <laughs> Thanks for being here. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show's mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you on Monday.